Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Metro Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Charles Camozzi, Associate Professor of Theology at Fordham University in the Bronx. Camozzi will be in Des Moines April 6th to speak as the inaugural research fellow of the new Center for Human Flourishing at Mercy College of Health Sciences. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the Bishop's mind. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. So, April 1st, April Fool's yes. Day, my goodness. So uh, always tell our international priests, you know, we might still have snow in April, so here on the <laughs> of it. We had, you know, in central Iowa, I don't, mm-hmm. can't speak for the rest of the diocese, but uh, right. brings to mind that uh, Isaiah image, you know, though your skin sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So this season of penance and purification at Lent as we continue to press closer, Holy Week next week already, mm-hmm. my goodness, it's hard to right. believe. And uh, looking forward to this weekend, I will be with the Diocesan Council of Catholic Women in Atlantic. They're gathering for their diocesan conference, visioning for the future. So that'll be great. Get to celebrate Mass with them. Then we're going to duck up to the Radix Retreat at Panora Catholic Youth Camp and be together with them and uh, some young people, mainly seniors in high school. So Justin White in our youth office. So I think for them, looking to their futures here, seniors in high school, thinking mm-hmm. about what the next transition is. But obviously our our view is much uh, broader. Uh, the people of Ukraine are very much in our heart, continue to be. Uh, Jesus says, you know, look at the works I do in John 5. Who knows what the power of prayer is doing here to stem the tide of, of war? Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's much uh, concern still that... Uh, the Russians have not abated in their their designs on Ukraine, but uh, with the Blessed Mother and the power of prayer of people around the world, at least uh, things are not taking the uh, course that we might they might have. So we're we're fueled ever more. You know, we'll not be able to maybe empirically verify the power of prayer. But uh, Our Lady, uh, we consecrated last week with the Holy Father's uh, mm-hmm. invitation to us all. So inspired by the Cathedral of St. Ambrose was almost 90% full. And so mm-hmm. people really joined us. I think this is something very much in solidarity uh, so many ways. So uh, I was privileged to, to take a quick trip to the Eternal City. Uh, primarily to see our Des Moines Diocese seminarians. Uh, uh, and Father Reed Flood is also there finishing his degree. He's he's hankering to get back, to get mm-hmm. to work here in the diocese, and we'd love to see that. He's going to bring his, uh, you know, ebullient spirit. Uh, we also, uh, Deacon Alex Kramer, who's there, he'll continue his studies, and Michael Mahoney, third year. And then men at St. John Vianney Seminary in uh, uh, St. Paul, uh, who have their semester abroad. So Connor Lynch, member of St. Thomas Aquinas Parish in Indianola, mm-hmm. and Jonah Ariola from Christ the King on South Side of Des Moines. So we kind of had our own cohort, and we were privileged to uh, celebrate Mass for the people of the Diocese of Des Moines, invoking one of our principal patrons, St. Pius X, in the mm-hmm. Basilica of St. Peter. As you enter into the basilica on the main level, one goes to the left, and there is, there's the altar there. So though they've still continued to restrict uh, not the, the custom of allowing priests just to come in early in the morning and celebrate Masses at respective altars, it helps to be a bishop once in a while. <laughs> and so they afforded me that privilege. And so I prayed for all of our listeners in the Diocese of Des Moines and, of course, uh, broader than that, those in the Spirit Catholic Radio Network as well. Now, I do uh, have to break some news to you, Kelly, that uh, while I was there, uh, the further contact, and so uh, not only the Committee on Catholic Education, but the Congregation for Education. And so I have been invited to become assistant to the Undersecretary for the Congregation. And so we'll be leaving the Diocese of Des Moines come July 1st. So it's been a quick stay here and everything else. So 
April Fools. <laughs> you knew it was coming. You knew no, it was coming. No, I didn't, coming. but I was like. <laughs> you knew it was coming. <laughs> no, you can't get rid of me that easily. <laughs> so, it's you know. like, uh, no, that's that not the way you would deliver that news. <laughs> <laughs> the savvy journalist. That's right. <laughs> Sniff that one out. <laughs> so, well, on that note, any final four picks? You know, of course, Iowa State fans were, were joyful and Millis. Uh, to our Hawkeyes, with them, both men and women making Sweet Sixteen. We have a blue you blood. Tried. We have a blue blood final, though, don't we? With, uh, That's right. Uh, yes. Villanova and Duke and uh, Kansas and uh, North Carolina. Yes. Right? I can't say that those are the exact pairings. I know. But, yeah. Any favorites there? I think I'll go for KU. My sister went there. KU. Okay. Good. Uh, stay true to the Midwest. Here, That's right. The Big Twelve right. woman. Okay. Very yeah. much. All right. We're going to take a quick break and return. We'll with Charles Camozzi. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Jones on Iowa Catholic Radio and Spirit Catholic Radio Network. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, the Catholic Church would be okay if it weren't for all the rituals? Why do people complain about rituals in the church? They don't complain about the rituals that fill the rest of their daily lives. They shake hands, they sign their names, they put candles on birthday cakes, they give each other flowers, they put on fancy weddings and somber funerals. Those are all rituals. They are symbols. They are simple ways of representing complex ideas. G.K. Chesterton says, Ritual is a need of the human soul. In fact, it's a need of the human body, like exercise. Destroy your impressive ceremony, and all you get in return is unimpressive ceremony. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, at chesterton.org. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins of the Diocese of Des Moines. And today's show we're visiting with Charles Camozzi, Associate Professor of Theology at Fordham University in the Bronx. He'll be in Des Moines April 6th to speak as the inaugural research fellow of the new Center for Human Flourishing at Mercy College of Health Sciences. He earned his PhD in theology at Notre Dame as the author of several books. Thank you for being with us, Professor Camozzi, your precious time, and to give us some of that. I know you have many people with claim on you as a fully functioning <laughs> academic, but also kind of a popular intellectual, too. And so we're going to be grateful to have you in Des Moines next week for that lecture. If uh, Dr. James Becker is out there listening, I think I told him the wrong time. I told him 6.30 on Wednesday, so the 6th. It's at 6 p.m. at the Pastoral Center at the Krause Hall, the main level. So uh, the public is invited, and so hopefully we'll get uh, a lot of people here because you have a wide-ranging set of interests and, uh, you know, as one as a kind of a from the Midwestern soil, from Wisconsin, that party state. (laughs) But... uh, (laughs) We've got a little little snow uh, coming on here, so uh, just to do that. Could you just talk maybe how uh, your your intellectual interests and your faith, how those those were kind of woven together in your your earlier years? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show, Bishop, and it was a pleasure to meet you down in uh, Texas. Um, At the Bishop's Bioethics Conference, yes. Bishop's Bioethics Conference. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still remember that conversation well. I'll tell you what, um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, I like to say, and then had to move to the Bronx uh, to the <laughs> University. So I went from the cornfields to the Bronx, which was a major, major transition. Um, but I never really lost that kind of Midwestern um, part of who I was. And that's one of the major reasons I'm looking forward to coming, even if they're still on the ground. 
uh, to, to, to Iowa is to, to get back around my people. I grew up, uh, you know, I could actually walk to to my country school that was close by, and it was a situation where I would go even to serve mass in the summertime when there were like two or three people in the congregation, which um, that's the kind of Catholic Catholic I grew up being. Mm-hmm. But then, then once I started learning about ethics um, and the and the and the academic study of ethics in college, I knew I wanted to take it to a different level, and in particular when I was raised. Uh, both by my parents and going to Catholic school my whole life, to be in favor of prenatal justice. I knew I wanted prenatal justice to be at the center of what I was up to. Wow, so you regard for the unborn even as a young man and, and uh, yeah, the, the recognition there. So, uh, and, and now as a, as a family man, your vocation and profession, uh, uh, you know, we, we think of the kind of overflowing generosity and love that people have when they adopt children. I understand you and your wife have done so, Pauline, and you. Yeah, so um, we always wanted to adopt uh, children. Uh, when we were dating, that was something we talked about probably a little bit too soon. <laughs> but, uh, we talked about it very, very early on uh, in the dating process. You gave her um, pause. Wait a minute, this guy is. Just... <laughs> yeah. What, what, what's going on here? But, um, but we ended up adopting. Uh, my wife, uh, is, when she was one year old, came from the Philippines and. Uh, we have a really robust Filipino family here in New Jersey where we live, right across the river from New York. And uh, so we ended up going to Manila to adopt um, three older children from an orphanage in the, in the Philippines. And, um, and uh, you know, we were going to do that anyway, but we also were struggling with infertility at the time. And I had a lot of friends say, um, oh, you're, you guys, you'll get pregnant, you know, right after, right after you do this. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've heard all the stories, right, but that's not going to happen to us. Well, we have uh, now we have a 23 year old, an 18 year old, a 16 year old, and a three year old. <laughs> what a spread! Oh my gosh! Uh, so, so, so I've been doing the whole diaper plus college application thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the 23 year old can look after the three year old right on occasion. That's so, right. yeah. Well, uh, you're coming to Des Moines, uh, Bo Bonner at the Mercy College of Health Sciences. Obviously, probably a connection for you. The Center for Human Flourishing and the first First inaugural research fellow. So thank you for accepting that distinction. And uh, your uh, academic interest and output is, is prodigious if one looks at your CV. Uh, but as you said, prenatal justice, but uh, the wide range of regard for the human person and really just kind of our faith answering that question, who is a human person? And, you know, you've uh, you touched on the, the phrase of Pope Francis of uh, cautioning us against the the, uh, the wiles of the throwaway culture. Uh, in New York, it's very vivid for us, you know, the elderly and the outbreak of the pandemic. Uh, could you just maybe kind of uh, elaborate a little bit, your topic next week, and how that's connected with events breaking lifetime in our culture? Well, I guess I've always been a proponent of, even though abortion is definitely a preeminent issue for me, as I mentioned, a, a consistent life ethic where we take our principles about human dignity and apply them wherever they go. Um, I was a philosophy undergrad major, God help me, and one of my... Uh, <laughs> Man after my heart my, now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I took from one of my most important mentors was he told us early on, you know, principles are like buses, they're not like taxis. I'm not sure I knew what that meant as a Midwesterner, but now that I've gone to New York, I know exactly what it means, is you have to follow a bus wherever it goes. It's not like a taxi or now an Uber, I guess, where you tell it wherever you want to go. And... Um, when we follow our principles of human dignity consistently, we, we just, as you know from my talk that I gave at the bishops 
bioethics conference, we, we, we just run into a multitude of issues that are before us now. And one of those that really presented itself during the pandemic especially was um, how we treat uh, not only our elderly in general, but specifically the population that has um, pretty advanced dementia, a kind of dementia where you know, rationality and self-awareness are, are either diminished or even not there at all. And, uh, and if we have our view of human dignity, of course, these are our fellow brothers and sisters, our equals in every way. They bear the image and likeness of God in exactly the same way that three of us do, and all of our listeners do. Uh, but we're, we're in this culture now which has rejected uh, this view of human dignity, not only with regard to abortion, not only with regard um, to, say, you know, persistent vegetative state or something like that. But, but now we're moving in this direction where even this population though fully human, um, has lost the kind of traits, you know, the, the rationality, the self-awareness, again, productivity. Are you a productive member of society? Well, this population isn't, um, but they matter just the same uh, nonetheless. And so what I've, during the pandemic especially, I paid very close attention to how this population was treated, and not just COVID, uh, some of them died of COVID, but there were tremendous amounts of deaths of this population uh, just due to neglect, just due to us kind of warehousing them by themselves um, in, a, in, a, in a place until they died. And, and though the pandemic kind of accelerated that problem, like many problems the pandemic accelerated, the problem was already there. We already had decided that this population was one we kind of warehouse until they died. And so I've been really, and I'll talk more about this at, at, at the lecture I'll give, I've been really keen on trying to highlight this as a particular example of what Pope Francis calls the throwaway culture, where it's related to a culture of death, but it's I think it's slightly more specific or more precise to say, rather than killing, what we're kind of doing is just discarding, we're kind of throwing away. And and do you see this tied to the, the status of the family and, uh, you know, generational bonds or the delinking in any way? You know, Pope Francis also talked about being in the canoe together and that some can paddle more, but uh, some bring their wisdom to bear. Uh, is, do you see a, a kind of diminution of, of that uh, regard or how does that uh, correlate in any way? Absolutely. The family is, is, as it is for almost every single issue, absolutely central especially, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, we, we made this a theme of our, our discussion so far, I've moved away from my own family, right, to take this job. Um, so my parents uh, now live in, in Indiana by themselves. They're in the early 70s. I have a tremendous amount of guilt, actually, about this fact. Um, all of three of their children moved away. Um, and, and so this is, you know, and I constantly talk with my wife, is there, can we find a way to get back? But our kids are here, and they're ensconced here, and how do we do this? But it was never on my mind. It was never something my parents, I'm not blaming my parents, but it's never something my parents even asked of us to say, like, okay, who's going to take care of us? Like, is there, it was, is there a, a good or a value about kind of sticking around at home and building a community at home? There's certainly a value to go out and pursue your dreams. I'm not denying that at all. But part of what I think we need to, you know, honor your father and mother commandment is not just about when you're a 12-year-old rebellious boy, as I was. It's about honoring your father and mother when, when you're older, right, when they're older. And um, so, so having, the, having this focus on not only, you know, the kind of nuclear family I was talking about, but extended family, aunts, uncles, and cousins, that's one of the things that makes it hard to leave now because my wife's family is here and we have this extended relationship, uh, relationship mm-hmm. with our extended family Beautiful. here. But, but, but even, though, even just asking the questions, even focusing on these questions, I think is an important shift. Like, and I'll finish my answer with this. You know, we kind of just say go to our kids, go out, live your dreams, pursue your life, go do what it is, whatever you want, without giving your family an extended thought. And um, I think that's something that we need to change to address this in particular.
Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking uh, this week, John's Gospel, Jesus saying, you know, you don't, there are those who want to come to me to have life, and there are those who don't. But but coming to Jesus means coming to those for whom he's entrusted to us, and those who help to generate life for us, and the relationships that fall on a natural order, let alone the, the spiritual relationships that are present in the community of the church and beyond in that way. Um, do you see any positive glimmers that have emerged from, you know, the kind of, you know, versus, you know, the woke culture, but just uh, thinking about maybe it's it's roused our consciousness. You're you're certainly a voice that's uh, semi-prophetic in this regard, but do you have any glimmers of hope that maybe, we, you know, we've learned some things that uh, are kind of bending our, our interest in, you know, in our own self-fulfillment? Yeah, I do. I think, um, I think though the pandemic is not a good thing uh, at all, far from it. It has put a spotlight on problems that maybe they're one of the things that throwaway culture is very good at. It's hiding is hiding the fact that it is a throwaway culture at all. So we kind of tell ourselves stories about how this works. You know, this is good for them. This is the you know we're not able to give the care that this facility would give and whatever. And we just kind of have you know the fact that this essentially throwaway culture exists when it comes to our elderly it kind of went below the radar but one good thing that came from the pandemic is a white hot spotlight was shown on these practices in ways that it might not have otherwise been shown right it might might have continued to just kind of operate below the surface as throwaway culture tends to do and so i do see um, though not as much as i would like i do see a focus on elder care and dementia care and about on a focus on families and being around family and protecting family um, that I didn't see before the pandemic. Now that's anecdotal. I don't know. We, you know, that's just my own experience. Perhaps I don't know if you both have had these kind of experiences in your own lives or in your own communities. But I, but at least now there we are without excuse, right? This has been pushed right in front of all of our faces as a culture, and now it's a question of what we do about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and whether the kind of ethos that uh, you're you're promoting, you know, as you say, a continuum of life, a culture of life, which extends, you know, yes, to the to those unborn, but uh, far beyond that. Um, just kind of, you know, maybe uh, uh, you know, exposing a little more, you know, the 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 sense and who is a human being, who is a human being is fundamentally relational. But uh, the distinction that's sometimes made in ethical circles in your your decade old book on Peter Singer and Christian ethics, he's kind of the poster child for a, a kind of a, a qualitative, performative uh, definition of the human person. But I think of Thomas Beecham, formerly the Kennedy Institute as well, who distinguished between human beings and those who clear the bar as persons with rights and dignity. Uh, how do you address that in some of your work? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Peter Singer, who in some ways I admire because he's willing to take the principles of the culture of death and the throwaway culture and apply them consistently in ways that his uh, his his uh, fellow travelers are often not. Uh, and one way he's been willing to do it is to say, hey, these people with dementia, late-stage dementia that have lost their rationality, self-awareness, etc., they, they, they are clearly human beings. He agrees with us on that. But they're not persons. They don't have, again, rationality, self-awareness that makes one a person. This is a distinction he makes when it comes to prenatal children that, of course, the Church does not make, and right-thinking people in my view should not, should not make. Um, same with so-called persistent vegetative state or the, the recent cases with, say, Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but, but these, I, I think Peter Singer, despite his just God, really horrible mistakes, 
kind of holds up a, a mirror to to the to the throwaway culture and culture of death, and say, you know, it gives us the opportunity, it gives such a culture to, the opportunity to say, is this where we want to go? Right? We have we have bifurcated the idea of a person and a human being in ways that are deeply, deeply problematic. Uh, not again, prenatal justice preeminent issue, but with regard to these other issues as well. Maybe if if it's again, if it's grandma and grandpa in the nursing home who suddenly don't count as the same as the rest of us uh, under this view, perhaps this could be the kind of wake-up call where we say, whoa, 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 where are we headed as a culture here? Yeah, yeah, and we're alarmed here in Iowa. There's uh, overtures being made to, you know, we think about telemedicine and the great blessing that can be for people, both with mental illness or your depression, but also there. But how now, uh, you know, the foray of uh, places like Oregon who have, uh, you know, assisted suicide, legal, you know, somehow... Uh, residents of Iowa might avail themselves of services or vice versa in this way. And so, you know, the kind of blurring of boundaries and the lack of respect, you know, for, for the, the local jurisdictions that might be present, let alone within the church also. You, uh, we're, we're, we're approaching a break here pretty quickly, and, uh, you know, I just want to be able to respect your time and everything else. But, you know, you've, uh, you've also, you know, been kind of on a, what seems to be kind of an evangelical effort to, to reach out to those who may not share some of our faith commitments, but uh, such as the Humane Society, uh, through some of the initiatives of the Archdiocese of New York. Any, uh, any willingness? And again, we're, we're approaching the break here quickly, but uh, is that something that uh, you think uh, kind of follows organically from your interests? Yeah, one of the things I love about the Church's teaching, especially when it comes to moral theology and Catholic social uh, teaching, is that it really just can't be boxed into this horrific fight to the death we apparently have between right and left in the United States. And um, we can be a, we really can be a healing balm to, the, to a culture that is so polarized, because we have views right across uh, the political map. In fact, it, uh, the political map really doesn't map at all on what uh, the Church has to say about these things. And so one of the... One and of the I just I'll add, with that note, uh, Professor, we'll just ask to pause here, but we're grateful for, for what you've given us and, and anything. Uh, we'll look forward to the engagement uh, next Wednesday. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry, including the St. Sarah Club of Des Moines and the Sarah Club of Council Bluffs. Sarah is an apostolate of the Worldwide Catholic Church dedicated to fostering and supporting priesthood and religious vocations. Sarah strive to accomplish their mission through prayer, fellowship, and service to the bishop priests, sisters, and all in religious formation, and in doing so to increase their own holiness. Learn more at joinsara.org, join S-E-R-R-A.org. Thank you, Sarans, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Is the Eucharist really Jesus or merely a symbol? Find out as Catholic convert and apologist Steve Ray presents Defending the Eucharist. You are what you eat. Friday evening, April 8th at Holy Spirit Parish in Creston. Catholic convert and apologist Steve Ray will unpack the biblical and historical basis for this crucial teaching, helping you understand and defend the Blessed Sacrament. That's Friday, April 8th, 6 p.m. at Holy Spirit Parish in Creston. Free will offering accepted. Visit iowacatholicradio.com to register. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. We are here with Charles Camozzi, who will be here speaking in Des Moines next week. So thank you for indulging us and lingering a bit longer. Uh, we were talking briefly how the, the portability, if you will, of the, the Catholic Church's sense of what the human person is. We think of doctors without borders, but persons without borders, the Catholic in a truly small C. And how this is also tied to kind of a concept that you have of whole life. And uh, that's not whole foods, you know, but whole life. So could you just talk about that a little bit, please? <laughs> Yeah, so as we were talking about before the break, um, the Church's uh, 
and more people are calling a whole life approach. Again, as we talked about in the previous segment, you just apply your principles consistently across the whole life of a human being, from womb to tomb, as they say. And that just happens to be the teaching of the Catholic Church. Though, again, if we look at we look through it our partisan lens, we can kind of ignore whole swaths of it. But I've been, in my work, trying to draw attention, again, to the fullness of Catholic teaching across these things. That doesn't mean that every issue is the same or has the same moral weight or anything like that. But it does mean, again, if we're going to apply our principles consistently, which is what it means to have a principle, um, that we're going to find ourselves applying it across the whole human life from womb to tomb. Wow. Yeah, thank you. I mean, and as I'm maybe very sympathetic that, you know, the Catholic Church offers us this, uh, what we believe are inspired not only through natural law and our awareness as humans, but uh, obviously with divine revelation, both reinforces and magnifies, you know, as Mary would want us to do, uh, who we are in God's eyes in this way. But it's not simply a, a kind of deductive affair, you know, and, uh, you know, I think you're at a Jesuit institution. I know you have a new president there, uh, Tanya Tetlow, who's coming from Loyola, New Orleans, to, to join you uh, there. That's kind of a you know, regime change, if you will. But in you know, the Jesuit tradition, you know, takes its uh, hit and knocks for casuistry, if you will. But how how in your both work with undergraduates and trying to speak to not only their, their minds, but their imaginations, how is it, you know, kind of narrative ethics that you do where it's the stories that are compelling for us. It's the stories that get our attention and can be morally suasive for us. So do you have a kind of hybrid model as you approach these things? Yeah, I mean, I do I do teach an academic class that does focus maybe too much on deductive. It's going back to the philosopher in me, I guess. I do think that the most profound injustices take place when we ignore our principles and don't apply them consistently. However, the point about stories is one I've been brought to over the years. It's just absolutely essential. You can talk about principles and, and arguments and evidence to the cows come home, but if you don't kind of connect it, especially with young people, if you don't connect it to a story, if you don't connect it with a narrative, if you don't connect, connect it with a vision, then you're lost. It's, it's just abstract. It's not the kind of personal encounter that is that our Lord and, and, and our, our Blessed Mother uh, exposed us to. Uh, Christ came to us. The Word came to us, not as a set of propositions, but as a person with, with whom we're supposed to have a relationship, right? And um, and so the stories of, of, of not, not only biblical stories of our Lord and of our Blessed Mother, but of the great saints, uh, couldn't be better examples of precisely what we're talking about, right? Who, who could put St. Francis of Assisi, for instance, in a right or left box? That's just totally ridiculous. So, <laughs> Though both sides and, claim him, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both, both sides claim Francis, right, which is beautiful. It's beautiful. And, the, and the list of saints, you know, would, which do that go on and on and on and on. Yeah, so... So, yeah, and, and again, the challenge with, with young people, uh, do you find that you, you've seen a shift uh, with the mindset of young people? And we think about, uh, you know, all the, the realm of gender dysphoria, gender affirmation and matters there. Do you, do you find that you can get a foothold with this kind of Christian anthropology that you subscribe to? It's tough, I'll be honest with you, especially when it comes to gender and gender ideology, um, because the... the um, cultural forces which are pushing them in particular directions, at least where, where I live and where I teach, are so incredibly strong, it's very difficult to to have that part of the church's anthropology take root. So I, I've focused in particular on the body and on science and on, um, again, evidence uh, and studies, uh, trying to show, hey, what what is this thing we call human body? And are we, in fact, our bodies? You know, trying to disabuse them of the kind of mm-hmm. dualism that's so we're 
going to have to bring it to a close here, but looking forward to the lecture Wednesday, April 6th at the Pastoral Center Diocese of Des Moines on Grand Boulevard. Uh, and the author of Losing Our Dignity, How Secular Medicine is Undermining Fundamental Human Equality. Thank you, Professor Charles Camosi. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org.